This episode of Between the Levees is brought to you by Water Waste Council Incorporated, the national public policy organization that advocates for a modern, efficient, reliable, sustainable inland waterways transportation system. As WCI celebrates its 20th year, we serve the operators, shippers, growers, and producers, ports, skill building trades, and conservation organizations that keep America and her key commodities moving on the inland system in the most environmentally friendly and safe way among surface transportation modes. To learn more about our important work and to join us, visit www.waterwayscouncil.org. Welcome back to Between the Levees. I am joined today by Mr. Matt Link, the current Terminal Manager for Host Terminals in Port Allen, Louisiana. Matt, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Well, real quick, get this out of the way. What do you think about my little program here? I think it's great. Um, I, I've enjoyed watching the videos. Um, you know, seeing some of the people you know I met in the past, uh, just bringing awareness to what we do in the you know the inland rivers, um, you know terminal services. Really enjoy it, man. I you know, thank you for what you do. <laughs> That's no problem. Do you have any uh, specific uh, highlights that you've seen so far? Anybody that you've met, especially interesting? Yeah, you know some of the uh, some of the towboat captains definitely, uh, you know, you know especially the uh, the harbor tug guys that we work with all the time, docking vessels. Just kind of hearing hearing their point of view. Um, you know, we're always on the on the mooring side on the dock. You know, be able to listen to some of the things that they've experienced and some of the challenges that they have. Uh, it's been great. You know, it's been really interesting to listen to. So, really enjoyed it. Glad to hear it. Well. We'll get this started, man. Uh, tell me, where were you born? Well, I was born and raised in South Louisiana, a little farming community in Acadia Parish. Uh, it's called Richard. Uh, really, rice, crawfish, soybeans is, you know, pretty much the heart of, of what goes on out there. Is that the Lafayette area? Yeah, it's about 30 minutes uh, northwest of Lafayette. Yeah, right, uh, right outside of a little town called Church Point. All right. Well, what did your parents do for a living? So my dad was a farmer. Um, you know, he was a third generational farmer. Uh, my mom worked with him on the farm, you know, doing the, the bookkeeping and everything. So he uh, he concentrated most of his work on rice and crawfish. He did a lot, a lot of soybeans when the market was right, but um, the crawfish really took off in the 80s. Uh, they really blew it up from there. He was, you know, he was really part of that that group of guys that moved crawfish over from the basin to the rice fields of Acadia Parish and commercialized it. So he spent his time, you know, it was pretty much his whole life, you know, uh, doing that. Is he retired now? Uh, he actually passed a couple of years ago. Um, you know, he had, he had a long battle with Parkinson's. Uh, so he was retired before that. So uh, he passed uh, two years ago and that farm actually passed on to my younger brother. So he's, He's taken it and he's expanded the acreage, uh, the, uh, the crawfish, you know, he's putting out more crawfish than the farm has ever done before. He's doing really well. Uh, so it's, it's still in family. So it's, it's in good hands. Good to hear. Do you have any other siblings? Yeah, I have, uh, I have another brother um, who's one year younger than me. He's a, he's a detective in Lafayette. Uh, he was, uh, he was also in the military. He, uh, joined the Lafayette Police Department and moved on to a detective. And I also have an older sister. She is currently residing in Thibodeau and she is a 
uh, board certified plastic surgeon. So she's been in the medical field pretty much her whole life. Uh, she, she was in school quite a while and um, she's, yeah, she's at Thibodeau Regional Medical Center, plastic, plastic and reconstructive surgery there. Tell me about growing up out there. Uh, I assume you worked on the farm. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it was great growing up in the country. You know, it was hard work. You know, my dad taught us about, you know, working with our hands, working on equipment, uh, running tractors, combines. Uh, you know, long days. You know, farmers work seven days a week. Uh, it's kind of like the Mississippi River. I uh, never sleep. You know, uh, even when you're at home sleeping, you're always thinking about the next day and. You know, we had some good times out on the farm. Uh, we did some great things. Uh, caught a lot of great crawfish too. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely had my own ponds. Uh, you know, just really taught me about hard work and being appreciative. Were you drawn to anything in school growing up? You know, I, you know, growing up, I always wanted to be in the military. You know, we, I come from a military background uh, family. Uh, you know, my grandfather, both of my grandfathers were in World War II. Uh, I had a, uh, a great uncle. That was in Spanish-American War, a great-great-uncle that was in the Civil War. So it's, you know, long lineage of patriotism. So I didn't want to stick around farming. I wanted to travel the world, you know, uh, do my, my tour, uh, do my service. Um, so it, I applied for an Army ROTC scholarship at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette, which is UL Lafayette. Um, so I spent my time there going through Army training. Uh, once I graduated, I received a commission into the Army as a second lieutenant. And that's pretty much how I started my Army career as an officer. Where did you study at ULL? Well, that, so, you know, I really wanted to be a, uh, uh, an Army JAG officer at first, uh, Judge Advocate General. So, you know, I really wanted to go to law school. So that was kind of the plan at first. So I, uh, you know, started in criminal justice and actually finished in criminal justice, but it just, it just never panned out, uh, you know, law school and the timing going into the military. So uh, I just stuck with the criminal justice route, thinking that I was going to go into maybe the FBI or, you know, some kind of federal agency after I did my time in the service. My brother and his wife were just promoted to Lieutenant Colonel in Army JAG, as a matter of fact. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. That's a good my career. JAG officers are you know, those guys are some, man. They're, they're great to work with. My brother's route to OCS was a little circuitous compared to yours. But anyway, um, tell me what you can about your Army career. Well, you know, like I said, I, I commissioned as a second lieutenant. I went to the Ordnance Corps, a um, little different than uh, Judge Advocate General. Um, you know, wanted to, you know, wanted to work with munitions, explosives, things like that. Uh, so my first assignment was actually in Korea. Uh, so I spent a year there. Um, I was attached to a Patriot missile battery. So Patriot missiles is the Army's air defense system. So I was there actually as a maintenance platoon leader. So spent time uh, with those guys, came back to Fort Hood, Texas, and uh, uh, went in as a maintenance control officer. So really uh, all, the, all the fleet maintenance, you know, with all the trucks, the wreckers, fuel trucks, uh, you, you name it, you know, any, any asset, I uh, was over all the maintenance and, uh, you know, the upkeep of it. I had a, had a large platoon there, uh, did a lot of good things with them. So after that, though, I, I joined a unit that was going to uh, the Middle East and Kuwait. 
I was a transportation unit. That's when I got into the logistics field. I was a battalion operations officer. Uh, I was a captain by then. We went to Kuwait and we were running convoys in and out of Iraq, bringing equipment in, bringing some out. And it was all going to the naval bases in Kuwait, uh, the Kuwaiti Naval Base, they call it KMB. And that's really where I got my first taste of maritime logistics. So the Army uh, has a lot of uh, watercraft, uh, LCUs, uh, landing crafts, uh, LSVs, they call it log logistics support vessels. Um, not not exactly what you know the same vessels we we work today at the terminals but really you know bringing you know tanks humvees you know any kind of rolling stock in and out of the country but got to learn a lot about the the maritime world um just you know any any anything from mooring vessels planning out you know maps uh, you know of, of port of calls just working with the captains working with the warrant officers the chiefs that were operating those vessels um Really, really good experience in Iraq, you know, Iraq and Kuwait. So uh, once I once I did my tour there, uh, you know, my obligation was done. It was right right under five years. So I just decided to go ahead and get out. You know, it was either stay in and do the full 20 or get out and transition into the civilian world. Anything interesting to share about your retirement and transition into Kinder Morgan back here in South Louisiana? <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was definitely a uh, challenge, you know, the transition back into the civilian world. Um, however, there was some good opportunities uh, with companies like Kinder Morgan, you know, other large corporations that were using recruiters to, you know, to find military officers, um, especially in logistics and, and introducing them to the maritime ministry, terminal work, you know, pipeline, chemical plant, petrochemical. Um, so, you know, I found a good fit here back in Louisiana with Kenna Morgan, and they had a manager and training program, our MIT program, you know, where they would take the military officers and put them through a training course to transition them to become terminal managers. Uh, so, you know, it just it seemed like a good fit. It was an opportunity to get back to Louisiana. Uh, so I went ahead and, and transitioned out and pretty much ended up in Sorrento, Louisiana with Kenna Morgan starting my my civilian training. How was life in Sorrento compared to what you've been used to up to that point? <laughs> well, it's a little different. You know, Louisiana is very cultured, you know, being from, you know, the Acadia Parish and, you know, all the French speaking Cajuns to, you know, this side of the world where it's all, you know, people, people in the petrochemical industry uh, are, you know, service in the petrochemical industry. You know, it was a whole new world, right? It, you know, growing up in Louisiana, we didn't know much about the Mississippi River. Uh, all we knew that Exxon refinery was in Baton Rouge, you know, but we had no idea the amount of traffic, uh, you know, barge, uh, vessel traffic that went in and out of the Mississippi River. So, you know, it was definitely a lot to learn. It was a lot to take in. But, you know, it was, it was a great training program, worked with a lot of good guys, a lot of good people, um, you know, just learned a lot, you know, and it, it was fast paced, it was fast moving, but it, it really, you know, it really challenged me in different ways than the Army could. But it, it helped elevate my career into what I'm currently doing now. So, you know, great experience. I, you know, couldn't, you know, couldn't trade it for anything. Any highlights of your time at Kinder Morgan that you can share here? Well, you know, Kinder Morgan at the time was, you know, the country's largest terminal operator. You know, I think they had right around 180 terminals across the across the country. So, I mean, they were just so different. You know, you had IMT 
down in New Orleans, handling coal or uh, Naranda alumina or Naranda aluminum handling, uh, you know, the alumina cars, lime, you know, rail cars, barges. Um, so I spent a lot of time there, actually spent a lot of time in Global Flex and Reserve uh, with the uh, uh, cement. You know, there was a couple of cement domes. I got my taste of cement. Uh, that was, yeah, that was interesting. And then uh, probably my biggest highlight was when I went back to Geismer. And I had an opportunity to go to PCS Nitrogen, which is a nutrient group now. Uh, but PCS Nitrogen uh, was, you know, was a large complex place. Uh, they manufacture lots of different acids, phosphoric acid, you know, nitri nitric acid, chlorosulfonic acid, and also a lot of fertilizers uh, like urea, uran, um, and also anhydrous ammonia. So definitely got, got a lot of good experience on the chemical side. Uh, but we also did a lot of bulk handling too. Uh, we did a lot of uh, fluorospar and phosphoric acid. So it was kind of, you know, kind of neat seeing how, you know, we bring the rock in from ship in a bulk product, watch it be processed, you know, through, you know, the different, uh, you know, the different units that they had in the plant and load it back out as a liquid. So, so that, that was, that was a good experience. And that was neat watching, you know, just being able to learn about how all that works and, you know, a lot of people don't realize Coca-Cola, you know, has phosphoric acid in it. And that started off as uh, a piece of rock in, you know, Morocco, Africa or something, you know. So it's just, you get exposed to things that you don't normally get exposed to in the in daily civilian world. Well, what then prompted your departure and your arrival there at Impala Terminals? Well, so, you know, Impala came in, um, you know, around 2012, 2013, and you know, they, they purchased the land uh, from Ormet Burnside and, you know, they had the opportunity to build this, you know, world-class coal handling terminal, uh, coal, you know, Petco, and also a lot of midstream uh, operations as well. So, you know, some, some managers left from Kinnamargan and went to Impala and it was just, it was too good of an opportunity to pass up. You know, it was an opportunity to get in at, at the ground level before the terminal was built. You know, you could have input, you could help, you know, design the, uh, you know, the, the, the layout, uh, the procedures. And like I said, it, it was just, it was too good of an opportunity to pass up. So, you know, I made the move to go with them uh, and I got into the Marine side, mostly uh, the midstream side. You know, we had a uh, got wall crane, a lot of, a lot of bars to ship, also some ship to barge, you know, we handled anywhere from, you know, bauxite, alumina, coal, pet coat, grain, uh, you name it, you know, we, we, Anything that could be dug with a clamshell bucket, we did. Um, so, you know, and also probably in year two, Apollo went through a transition with positions and, you know, the coal market took a turn. Um, so after some restructuring, uh, I was, you know, offered or pretty much uh, given the position of logistics manager on top of the marine operations manager. So the logistics manager was great because, you know, that gave me um, the chance to really work with uh, vessel owners, customers, you know, instead of just handling their product, it was scheduling and the logistics of it. Uh, working with barge lines, you know, when barges are loaded in, you know, Illinois, you know, tracking them all the way, all the way down through the Mississippi River till they hit the fleet. Uh, but that, that was a great experience, you know, that, that really opened me up to a lot of good opportunities and um, just, you know, a whole nother world in the maritime industry. You know, you go from a, working inside of a chemical plant, just kind of focused on day-to-day -day operations to, 
global logistics, right? So vessel vessel nominations, you know, vetting out vessels, uh, you know, working with the barge lines, like I said, um, you know, working with, uh, you know, the harbor tugs or the river pilots or, you know, you name it, you know, there's so many people involved in it. Um, definitely, definitely was a great experience. No doubt about it, yeah. Any highlights come to mind from your tenure there? Well, I mean, I, you know, the biggest highlight was the uh, was the the commissioning of the terminal. You know, it was a it was a it was a new terminal in town, and uh, you know, we, we got it up and running, and I think we were cranking out four to five million tons a year in the first couple of years, just in the uh, on the terminal side. Then you had in another two million tons of of uh, midstream cargo handling. I mean, we were pumping out you know, anywhere seven, eight million tons a year through there. So it was just, it, it was a great accomplishment. There was a great team there. Um, just doing some of the things that, that we did, uh, you know, some of the run rates we had, or, you know, it just, it really set, it really set the bar at a new precedent. Um, just, you know, showing the capabilities of a world-class terminal. And I see in 2017, you made the jump to host terminals. Was it always in the Baton Rouge area? Well, so this one was a little different. This was another opportunity, just like Impala, that came up. Um, this was to go to the New Orleans area to do uh, due diligence on the Avondale terminal. So, sure, you're familiar with hosted Avondale Global Gateway, but at the time, it was a big, it was a big project undergoing. Um, I was granted an opportunity to kind of restart what I did at Impala, kind of get in at the ground level and kind of help build something uh, from scratch. So it was just. It, Again, you know, very enticing, just, you know, having that challenge in front of you, um, you know, being able to do something that others may think can't be done, you know, it's, it, it was just too good to pass up. So, you know, after, you know, after my time in Bala, um, you know, just going over to host and just really getting into ground level of a place like Avondale, you know, it was an 80 year, 80 year old shipyard, you know, one of the biggest employers in Louisiana for many, many decades, being able to take it and transform it into a world-class, you know, bulk terminal was, I mean, talk about quite the challenge, you know, it was, well, we did some amazing things over there and, uh, you know, hosting up, you know, buying the, uh, buying the property from Huntington Ingalls. And, you know, I'm sure you keep up on the social media and you can see some of the things that Avondale has accomplished and uh, it's no small feat, you know, just, yeah, it was, and the guys are still over there doing some great things. You know, they're working anywhere from three to four vessels at one time. It's just, it's remarkable the things that they've done in the last couple of years. Yeah. And then what prompted the move to the Baton Rouge area? Well, me being from here, you know, I was making the long commute. There was just an opportunity. Uh, there was a position open to come run the two terminals in Baton Rouge. So, you know, me being so close here, or living here, um, you know, the, the due diligence was done. The property was, you know, undergoing a, a construction trans, uh, transformation in Avondale. So, uh, you know, coming back to Baton Rouge and getting back into operations was, you know, something I was ready to do. So um, timing was right. You know, uh, you know the, the commute was a lot easier than going to, you know, driving an hour and a half to New Orleans every day. So that was definitely a plus. But so I came in at Port Allen. Uh, we we run two terminals there. We uh, we operate for Lewis Dreyfus Commodities, all the grain, um, grain loading, and also for Drax Biomass. So at Drax, we do anywhere from you know terminal services, maintenance, the unloading of rail cars, uh, handling of trucks, 
and all the ship loading for them. So now I've been there since around 2000, in the 2019. So um, yeah, that's where I'm currently at today. Well, what's a day in the life of a terminal manager for host? Well, it's pretty tiresome because you didn't get much sleep from the night before. So, uh, you know, you know, I work with, I work with a good team. I have some great operations managers. I got, you know, one of the, one of the best maintenance managers on the river guys been, you know, been doing uh, conveyor belt maintenance for many, many years. So it all starts with them, right? You know, th these guys, they come to work every day. They, you know, they have a plan, uh, whether we're handling inbound cargo, whether we got a ship to load, you know, Supermax, Panamax, you know, whatever the case is, it's, these guys are getting it. Uh, you know, a terminal manager, they wear a lot of hats. It's not just with the operation, you know, even though a lot of terminal managers come from the operation side or maybe the maintenance side, you have to, you have to step back and you have to look at the full picture, right? You know, operations, maintenance, also, uh, you know, the finance, the, the safety side of it, even in the commercial side of it uh, to an extent. So just, you know, interacting with the customers day to day is, is probably the, the top priority as a terminal manager, the operation managers, you know, are, are keeping, you know, keep the, keeping the cargo flowing, but just being able to get with the customers, understanding their expectations, you know, learning about the market. You know, I didn't know much about biomass before I got to Drax uh, or before I got to host really. Uh, but now, you know, biomass has taken off and, you know, four years ago, we were doing about a million tons a year of wood pellets. Now we're up to 2.1 million tons. So just being able to keep up with the growth of the market, uh, the supply and the demand, uh, you know, everybody wants to be, you know, clean and burn clean energy and everybody's looking for carbon credits and, you know, anybody that can burn or get their hands on wood pellets or, you know, for gas or any kind of wind or solar energy, it's just, it, you know, it, it's a hot market right now. And, uh, you know, it, it's a good time to be a part of it, but also, you know, we still handle a lot of coal down in UBT and that's not slowing down anytime soon. You know, last year, I think we were close to 10 million tons and it's projected to, to do the same this year. So, you know, the energy market is just a great market to be in, right? It, whether, you know, whether it's uh, green energy or, or uh, coal, fossil fuels, it's the world needs their energy, right? And, and whether it's wood, wood burning in the UK or coal burning in, in India or China, it's, it's got to happen, right? And the mouth of the Mississippi is just, it's, you know, the most strategically important location in the U.S. to be able to handle that. And, you know, guys like me who are in the terminal side or, you know, like yourself on the barge side, you know, we all get a part of it. You know, we all get a piece of it. And, you know, just the amount of people and the amount of, you know, the, the different companies and service companies that it takes to be able to move cargo from, you know, coal mine in West Virginia to a, uh, you know, a uh, coal fire plant in Asia, it's just, you know, it's incredible. And I don't think a lot of people understand it. And like I said earlier, uh, when you asked me about your, you know, thoughts on your podcast, you know, maybe it'll, it'll help kind of enhance, you know, the visualization or, or you know, open people up to, um, to kind of see the bigger picture, right? And, you know, instead of, before people judge, you know, one energy over the other, you know, they need to understand the whole process from start to finish, and, you know, doing what we're doing now is I think it's a good way to, to kind of get it out there. And you walk me through a quick synopsis of, uh, say, a lump of coal from Virginia making it to your facility and then out to, Japan, to China? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, so you have you have commodity traders that are you know they're buying and selling commodities, which you know it's as opposed to an actual stock uh, commodities, a physical asset, right? Whether you know whether it's coal or you know metal or uh, aluminum, cement, whatever, you know. So you know, traders will will buy coal from you know some a uh, big player like Alliance Coal or you know, one of the guys, you know, from the Virginia mines and, you know, they'll, they'll be allotted so many tons of coal. So the coal comes out of the mines and it gets transported to a barge loading facility somewhere else, not necessarily in the Mississippi river, but, you know, um, the, you know, maybe the, uh, somewhere in Tennessee or Kentucky or somewhere close to a uh, navigable water, navigable waterway, uh, that can handle, you know, a certain draft on a barge. So once that coal gets to a barge loading facility, it'll, you know, it'll be loaded in a barge. And after six, 12, 21 barges are loaded, uh, tugboat will take the barge and start working it down river to one of the four major terminals in Louisiana. Um, for instance, uh, host, you know, we run the United Bulk Terminal in, in Davant, which is south of New Orleans. So after just say two weeks of being in the Mississippi River, fighting the elements, low river, high river, you know, lock systems, the barges will finally make it to the terminal and they'll be released to uh, the fleet boats or, or the fleet that we own in the van. The barges will be unloaded uh, via CBU, they call it, it's a continuous barge unloader. The product will normally go into a stockpile and be stored there for a number of days. Sometimes the timing works out where the barges come the same time as the vessel. So that can be direct transfer, direct midstream. Um, you know, once the vessel is alongside, we use ship loaders, cranes to get the coal into, uh, into the ship. Uh, usually coal ships can be anywhere from 50,000 metric tons supermaxes to 90,000 ton cape ships. Uh, once the vessel is loaded, it heads out, out uh, Southwest Pass and goes to one of many, many destinations around the world. And once it gets to this port, it's unloaded, usually via a crane clamshell, and it's sent off to, uh, you know, a, a coal burning facility, uh, whether it's for energy or, or for metal, uh, you know, uh, metallurgical coal uh, in, in the, uh, the metal making process. Uh, it could just go, you know, anywhere, anywhere in the world, really. Do y'all load vessels with conveyor systems? Yeah, yeah. Most most of what we do, uh, especially here at the at the port of uh, Baton Rouge and Port Allen, um, everything we do is through conveyor systems. So you know everything is is inbound either by barge, truck, or rail, and it, it conveys into either a grain silo or a biomass storage dome. Once the once the silos or the you know the domes get full. Uh, we use conveyor belts, um, you know, bottom feed, uh, reclaim belts to, to actually load the vessels. And most of our ship loaders are, you know, uh, pipe loading uh, with Bueller spouts, or we also have a gantry brook ship loader that'll travel up and down the dock loading hole to hole. So, yeah, we, we mainly use conveyor belts, especially at the port of Baton Rouge. What's the largest vessel you've loaded? Well, in Baton Rouge, um, we, we actually just loaded one of the largest Panamaxes uh, by any biomass um, terminal in the U.S. And I believe it ended up around 67,400 to 500 tons. So it was definitely, uh, you know, definitely quite, a, quite an accomplishment. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely 
you know, most Panamaxes are 60 to 61,000 guns. This one came in, this one's a little wider class, a uh, lot more room, uh, fit more cargo in. So we were trying to get close to 68,000, but, you know, maybe next time, but it was definitely the largest uh, anywhere with Dragster, you know, one of the major uh, biomass terminals in the U.S. How long does it take to load a vessel like that? Uh, how, what's, I guess, what's the throughput per hour on those conveyor systems? Well, you know, the, if you look at the, the net run rate um, from start to finish, uh, the average is anywhere from 800 to 900 tons an hour. So when we're running uh, wide open, we could probably do up to about 1,200 tons an hour. But, you know, you take into account shifting and, you know, possible weather delays and just other things that uh, trimming, you know, trimming the vessel off at the top. So that'll bring your net run rate to about eight, 900 tons an hour. So it's not quite as fast as like full loading. Uh, coal loading can be done in inclement weather. It could be done in the fall. It could be done in different conditions than biomass uh, or grain. So coal, you know, can be anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 net tons an hour. Um, but you know, when it comes to grain and and wood pellets, it's very very sensitive cargo. Um, you have a lot of eyes on whether it's USDA surveyors, you know, marine surveyors watching the integrity of the cargo. So whether it's, you know, rain five miles away or one mile or sprinkling, you know, you have to stop. You have to stop and you have to close up and just have to be really conscious of what you're doing and, uh, you know, uh, everything that's going on around you. Anything else to share about the industry before we wrap up? Oh, man, I could probably talk for days on the industry. <laughs> but no, like, like I said uh, a little while ago, you know, being doing what I'm doing, especially with hosts, you know, I'm exposed to all different elements, all different commodities, you know, whether it's coal or um, biomass or, or grain, you know, it's just, it's what makes the Mississippi River special because everything has to come through here. You know, I think something like 60% of the, the U.S.'s uh, waterways are connected to the Mississippi River, uh, but there's only one mouth of the Mississippi River, so everything has to come this way, has to come through us. So, you know, it, it's a great career. It's very challenging. You know, it operates 24-7. Um, you know, you don't, you're dealing with elements, whether it's high river, low river, you know, hot, cold, you know, hurricanes, it's just, you know, you're going to challenge yourself every day. Uh, but, you know, I encourage people, you know, to, to try to learn, learn more about it, uh, especially the logistics side, seeing how cargo gets from point A to point B and all the, all the things that are involved in the, um, in, in the, the midstream side, the middle section, we call it, um, a lot of great careers, a lot of great careers and a lot of great people. And, you know, it, it's not going anywhere and it's, it's growing every day. Every day I come into work, there's something new happening. There's something new being talked about. It's, you know, whether it's a new product or it's a, you know, a new company wants to come in and, you know, expand or, you know, right now carbon capture is a big thing. You know, they call it the BEX program, uh, bioenergy carbon capture systems, uh, being able to capture, you know, carbon from emissions and put it back into the earth. It's just, it's just always evolving. It's always evolving. And it's like I said, it's not going, it's not going away anytime soon. So it's just, it's a perfect industry to be in. It's, it's really not volatile either. It's, it's pretty steady. Uh, I haven't seen a drop in 13 years. Well, Matt, I think that'll do it. I appreciate your time today. All right, Tim. Thank you for having me. This has been a production of Where you at Studios, LLC.